connecting you to people, knowledge, and business development in the line striping industry. This is Stripe It Like It's Hot. Brought to you by Blacktop Banter with your host, Cam Roberts. What's happening, Pod Squad? Welcome into another episode of Stripe It Like It's Hot. What is this? The fourth, fourth episode in a row we've done this like with another human being or yeah. not, not on zoom, not on zoom. Yeah. We're moving on up in the world. Um, yeah, we had a guest lined up today. Um, and last week, both of them got sick. So that's no good. Flakers, you know who you are. Uh, hopefully we get them on next week. Um, so instead Matt and I are here live in the studio with this kind of strange setup because you didn't, you didn't realize you were going to be on camera today and record, mm. recording with, well, here we are, you're recording with me. So what we decided to do is, um, especially since Matt's been here, we get a lot more traction, a lot more views on, on the YouTube, a lot more uh, interactions, a lot more questions. So Matt has curated his own personal list of his favorite questions that uh, people have sent into the show on YouTube or Instagram. I'm guessing some of these I, I haven't even looked at or answered yet. Yeah. It used to be so easy to keep up. Now it's hard. Thanks, Matt. Anyways, so... Uh, that's all I got for intro. Take it away, and we're going to answer random striping questions today. All right. Let's first go. question. The first few are going to be questions that you haven't seen or answered yet. Perfect. First one from a guy named Rory McKinnery. Rory McElroy? I wish. Oh, that'd be so sweet. <laughs> oh. Anyways. Uh, Chinese painting machine Yang Feng. Yan Feng? Yep. Uh, his question was, would you recommend... Um, I cannot, I can't answer that question. I've never, do I look at you or the camera, by the way? There's no rules today, right? No, just no do rules. Okay, just do whatever. whatever. I'll do both. Uh, people are listening on podcasts are like, what are you even talking about? Answer the question about the Chinese machine. Okay, Chinese machine. I have no experience. That's the real answer. Now, that being said, I'm going to shout out uh, a boy, uh, a boy of mine from uh, the Blacktop Banter Group. Uh, hopefully he's listening. If not, I'll tell him to. James Yates. So I met this dude in person at National Pavement Expo last year. And he asked me kind of a question like this. He's like, you know what you should do for content? And he's like, you should get one of those striping machines from Alibaba that are like, <laughs> like I don't even know how much money there are, but they look like, you know, a, a Titan or a Graco Titan line painting machine. He's like, you should get it. Like content alone would be like amazing. And like, who knows? Maybe they're actually good. And I remember saying to him, yeah, that's a great idea. You should do that. <laughs> and I, so funny enough, him and I were just chatting a few weeks ago. I think he's going to do it. Really? What was the name of the brand in the comment? It was uh, Yang, Yan Feng. Y-A-N-F-E-N-G. Sounds like, well, it's got some fang to it. It's got some <laughs> Sure. Uh, tell you what, rather than talk about something I don't know about, uh, just in general, my my strategy and my, my business is very straightforward. I am not an auction hunter. I don't look at auctions. I don't look at buying used equipment generally. Sometimes we will. We've bought demo models of stuff. Um, I just don't think, I don't think it's a great plan. Like I'm picturing this machine in this case, like what happens when you need parts? Where are you buying? Chow Feng? What was it? Sorry. <laughs> Yan Feng. Yan Feng. Where are you going to buy Yan Feng parts, right? So you'd have to like stock up and make sure you have them. You're going to lose a lot of dealer support, obviously, unless you know got a, a great sales rep in Hong Kong or something. I suppose it's possible. But generally, you know, when you go that route, you're not getting those things. You're sacrificing customer support in favor of just a price. 
So I take that one step further and I think about that like literally in what we do, Matt, at Laser, which is, you know, we might not always be the cheapest. In fact, often we're not. But what do people get for that? Well, they get convenience. They get like, you know, digital contracts they sign. They don't have to print. They get, you know, communication platform where they can see photos and they get all these little perks. Uh, yeah, perks to what we do. So uh, I would be cautious of it. I think whatever, if you got two grand or whatever to try, why not? Yeah, but if you're spending two grand on one of those, you might as well just spend a little more on Graco. Or... Up a little bit, yeah, get a Graco. They'll start at around five grand-ish, so, yeah. But by the way, how many questions have we got? I don't know how long I'm supposed to jam about these. Three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, so five minutes of question-ish. Yeah, something cool. like that. Cool, yeah. all right. Hopefully we answered the, the question on Yao, Yao Feng. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Second question from Dennis Kubler. I apologize if I'm butchering any Probably of these names. butchering. Probably. Probably. Uh, do you ever have employees that get jealous when you grow and make more revenue? Fascinating question. Whoa. So, have we ever had employees who get jealous? Um, the answer is no. And I think I have the reason why. Boy, you yeah, you really didn't prepare me for these. No. Because what we've done in this company is, you know, we, it's grown fast, right? So at this moment, there's 23 of us, which is crazy. Just because we, we scale up in winter. Uh, during the summer season, probably at the start of peak season here, like in May for us, we'll probably have uh, 15, 16 or so. And that'll probably go up a little bit in the summer too. But as the company's grown, um, I've tried really hard to set that expectation with people, which is, you know, yes, we're going to do more work. Yes. Um, there's going to be more bigger jobs, which means more money coming into the company, but it also costs a lot of money <laughs> to, to produce bigger jobs. Like, so, you know, when we buy new equipment, you know, what we what we're really trying to do, and I feel like we could do a better job at is like explaining to people, like, this is why we take care of this stuff. Because if we buy a, a $40,000, line great or grind laser like we did this summer and we don't look after that things those things yes we can go produce big jobs but we're just going to spend all that money in fixing stuff we're going to spend money in all sorts of ways um just because we're inefficient i don't really think i'm answering this question i think this guy's assuming that all the revenue is just going to you totally yeah you're right that's the root of the question right and so on the podcast at, at times i've shared this before i'm very candid about this like that's a concern it used to be a big concern of me like you know oh my goodness people are going to think i'm just sitting with my feet on the desk cashing them checks yeah. working off the sweat of other people's back you know that's how it feels you know when you first when i first started hiring people to to do production work especially like go out into the job stripe something and i'm not there but what it really comes down to, and this could be a whole other topic for another day, is like, do people understand what we're trying to do and where we're going? What are we trying to accomplish? Like, you know, and that goes down to not just the company, but like even individually. Like we just had um, a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago where it was, you know, sometimes in order to go farther in the company, which means you making more money, sometimes you have to do a little bit less like you have to kind of niche yourself down and focus in on one or two things so it's those kinds of like co ongoing conversations in the company that really show people like look we're not just in it for the revenue um because if we were that'd be annoying like 
Um, one other thing I've said on the show before too, is like, uh, you know, especially during the summer, there's some busy, busy times in the season where many of the people in production make more money than me on a paycheck basis. And I'm okay with that. So I don't mind sharing that with them, not to like brag or in any way, but it's just to show them like, look, there's something more important than me cashing my paycheck. Yeah. Hopefully Dennis, hopefully Dennis, we answered or I answered that. (laughs) All right. You're making me nervous. That was a heavy question. (laughs) (laughs) Grief. Next question is from, I'm definitely going to butcher this. Uh, Luis Labario. Luis Labario. Uh, how do you make sure the paint remains a consistent viscosity? Wow. Did he spell viscosity right? Uh, I did. <laughs> you, you did. Because you wrote it out phonetically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I already forgot the question. How do you keep the paint consistent? Yeah. Interesting. So we're in cold climate. And I'll tell you one thing. That's actually a thing. Um, when you paint in cold climates and you have paint like that's warm from the shop or whatever... And you start spraying it. Like we noticed this at a runway once. We were doing a really precise runway job where literally the tolerance was like five millimeters, dude. So they would measure, like the surveyor would measure five millimeters. So like my fingertip is one centimeter for you Americans there. So so like very little room for error. And what happens is if you like set your line width to, to where you need it to be, like, you know, four inch line or six inch line and the paint is warm, the moment it gets cold, because it's cold outside when we were doing this job in October... Um, the paint starts to get thick and so your line width actually goes down. So right. viscosity, as Louis said, Louis? <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. Louis. Very important. So because we're in cold climate, one thing we do is we try, uh, we've taught our, our production staff, you know, you might have paint that you're taking from the shop, um, where it's warm or your, your garage or wherever you are. As soon as you get to the job site and it's cold, put some inside the cab of the truck. And I used to actually idle the truck too, just to keep it warm because it was so annoying when the paint gets cold and viscosity gets messed up. And then as you take those pails, take two from the trailer or the box of the truck, put it inside, keep it the same temperature. I'd say temperature is the main thing, but I also know there's dudes in Texas who like the paint films over in like a microsecond because it's so warm. So I actually don't really have a ton of experience. Like when we stripe it plus 30 and you like lift up your lid and you pour in a fresh pail of paint. I'm explaining this to you like you care. Yeah, we, <laughs> because you do care. I do. We, you pour the paint in the in the pail and it starts to gum up really fast because now it's like starting to set basically, right? So uh, if that's the case, the only thing we've done is just um, mix in a little bit of whatever reducer for that paint. So xylene, acetone, something like that. Give it a good mix. That's the other thing. Mix it, bro. Did you know that we have a, a one-page how-to on how to mix paint? No. I you didn't, didn't know that? No. <laughs> so literally, as funny as this sounds, to wrap up the viscosity question, yeah, I learned that the way I mix paint was different than the way other people would. So like whether like how like how long you ran the drill or like, you know, would you scrape the bottom of the pail with the with the, the, the scraper or the, uh, the drill extension to like get the crud off the bottom. And so what I found was, yeah, the way people mix pails will change the viscosity. So we standardized standard operating procedure we we sop'd how to mix a paint pail it makes that big of a difference yeah when i wrote the sop i was like thought it was a joke right because i'm like this is the dumbest thing. this is going to be insulting to people this is how you mix a paint pail <laughs> but it actually matters yeah it totally does you got to mix it the same way so one day we'd like to get a paint mixer in the shop that way you don't have to like use a drill at all smart I'm trying <laughs> all right next question 
this is from Section Millionaire. Oh, we should be asking him questions. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, what do you do with your waste paints? So I guess well, if we have paint that we don't need anymore. <laughs> you see my face get really serious. <laughs> yeah. What do I want to do with it or what do we ethically do? <laughs> hey. Is this even a question we should? Oh, no, I'm totally going to answer it. Because, okay. yeah, we don't, do, we don't do shady stuff. Um, waste paint, he said, specific, or yeah. waste pails. Uh, he said waste paint. Waste paint, yeah. Okay. Differentiation there. Um, so if there's like a little bit of paint in the pail, not much, like a little bit of cruddy stuff. Um, the, the, the center where we take our paint pails are generally pretty favorable. They won't really make a thing of it. Unless it's like, if it's good, you got like a couple inches of material, they're going to not take it. So, um, when I started striping, I didn't have waste paint because I was ruthlessly committed to not wasting paint, but it happens as you grow, right? People have, you know, different ways of doing things and it happens. Um, what we do now is we have an environmental company that we either drop them off or they come pick them up and it is insanely expensive. You would die. How much do you think it would cost to truck out, say, four pails of paint? Because that's what we did last time. Four or, no, it wasn't four. I think it was three. Three, like, we combined a lot of wastage. We had some accidents and blah, blah, blah. Did you drop it off or did they pick it up? Uh, honestly, don't know. I can't remember if, who, if they picked it up. It'd be like an extra hundred bucks to pick it up or whatever. But how much do you think they charge us for three pails of paint? Three pails of paint. Yes, sir. It can't be that much. You would think. 250 1000 Oh $500, $500, 500 bucks a pail because waste paint, you know, in, in Canada, and I'm sure it's the same in the States. It's like waste is actually federally regulated. So like you can't just go, can't just dump paint down a catch basin, which you should never do anyways. Let's be real. No, there's strict laws in how they have to dispose of it too. So expensive. I would start with your, uh, a local environmental company. You know, and maybe we're spoiled where we are because we have like a lot of oil and gas and forestry and stuff where waste is a thing, right? Toxic waste and stuff. But um, that's going to be expensive. Do not do anything unethical. The reason why my face got serious is because I always think about this. We're in Canada. There's like a million square feet of nothing. Like if you have like half a pail of paint, I'm pretty sure you could safely bury it somewhere. Not by a water source, but it's not the right thing to do. So we don't do that. Instead, what we try is... I view everything as an opportunity. So when I saw the bill, funny story, I literally thought it was for something completely different because I'm like, there's no way it was paint pails. Right. Oh, bro, it was paint pails. And I was like, holy cow, 1500 bucks. It's a lot of money. So to me, that's an opportunity to now go back to your operations and your production people and say, hey, just so you know, this is how much it costs. And obviously we all contribute to that cost because, you know, it's not just one person wasting paint. Sometimes it's like just a few careless mistakes right. but not it doesn't matter who made the mistakes it's this is how much it costs so this matters let's try this as an opportunity that. to not do it yeah that makes sense yeah. all right next next one is from nick bailey uh what's a reasonable revenue goal for part-time striping i have a 40 hour a week job and i'm looking to do this in my extra time 40 hour week job yeah striping on the side that should be the spinoff podcast. <laughs> we talk about a lot, a lot about it. Oh, stripe it on the side. So I'm deciding how candid I want to be here. Uh, how candid should I be? Should we, yeah, yeah. Well, you did it. 
part-time for a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I'm not a good example, though. Uh, so I did it, but only because, like, I, I quit my job really early in my progression in striping. So I did one season in Canada, which is, like, six months part-time, not knowing what I was doing. And I did 30K in Revenue Canadian, which is, like, 25 American. So that was cool. Paid for the machine. Paid for some paint. You know, I had to buy some other stuff, but it was good. And then the next year, I just quit my job. But that's because the market demand was going up so fast. I was like, I can't do both. I'd like to have a life. So, um, well, I'll say this. So actually, he came on the podcast, but John Stanton came on the podcast. And I know he listens to every show. So I'm like, hey, John, how you doing? Um, He came on the podcast because I started working with him one-on-one. He was actually the first person I ever started working with one-on-one. And actually, to this day, he's he's still part-time. And uh, all I will say is he doubled his revenue. Like, he does over six figures in revenue. Part-time. part-time. Yeah. American. Pretty good. So, like, convert that to our money. <laughs> Man, that's pretty good. Now, he has to do a butt-ton of work to do that. Right. So, he, he's a hard-working dude. He's a harder worker than I am. For, so, you have for another sure. job on the side? Yeah. Yeah. He's a full-time employee somewhere. He's making over 100. Damn. In revenue. He's committed. He's a hardworking dude. Yeah. Yeah. And he does a great job. And obviously his pricing is good. He's not a cheap price. So he's got a really, really great thing. So it's definitely possible. You could absolutely do that. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be like, you know, how much, uh, how much are you willing to put in? That's really what it comes down to. There are people who can do six figures of revenue, obviously not profit, right? There's a lot of expenses to make that happen. And uh, John, to his credit, doesn't just do striping. He does seal coating as well. So sometimes you can sell some very expensive seal coating jobs but it's possible man um and i realize that's kind of a dumb answer like but it really is you, your output is based on your input so all i know is that when i did 30k and it was trending to go more than double i was like there's no way i'm gonna stick around i just i'm not that hard a worker <laughs> i'm not gonna Fair. do it so no, i think that's a good answer uh next question is it, whoa, whoa, hold on i just had a brain thought if I was that guy, what was his name? Nick? Nick Bailey. Nick Bailey. What's up, Nick Bailey? Um, look, what I might consider doing, if I haven't started yet, just break down month by month how much revenue do you think I could make in, like, the peak season? And just kind of break it down. Like, basically create your first budget and your projections. Like, what do I actually think I could do? Like, what does $10,000 a month in revenue look like? It's 2500 bucks a week. Well, what does that look like? If you have a job minimum of like 800 bucks, that's three jobs, three minimum jobs. So now you ask yourself, well, is it f- reasonable for me to do three jobs a week while still working full time? If, if some of those jobs are two, three hours long, maybe the answer is yes. But some of those jobs might be like six hours. So I would look at it that way, break it down month by month and then, yeah. Justify it. Yeah. 100%. Sorry sense. for cutting you off, bro. Oh, all good. All, all right. good. Uh, next one, you actually did answer this on YouTube. Uh Uh-oh. But I'm going to ask you that. We'll see if I change my mind. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Uh, This is from Everything High End. I don't know if you remember that. Gucci. No, but I like the name Everything High End. What do you do when you're using thermoplastic? Do you still use the regular stencils you would use for paint, or is there some aluminum stencils you get made up? Not only do I not remember answer it, I don't even understand the question. Say it. What what did I answer? I think he figures we're spraying thermoplastic. Oh, and using stencils? Like like hot melt. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, this is a great question then, because if you don't know, if you've never done thermoplastic. Yeah, fair enough. So, um, at the risk of going way back 
too far and giving a boring answer. Look, where we are in Canada, thermoplastic just isn't that big of a thing. Like the highway guys, all the turn arrows on the roads and stuff, they are thermoplastic on the highways. But even our municipality here, they just recently started experimenting with thermoplastic. So the the few times that an, an, an interesting contract opportunity comes up to us that requires thermoplastic, well, if you want to do like traditional thermoplastic, which I think is what he's referring to. So you buy like bricks basically of plastic and you melt them usually in like its own standalone melter thing, um, melt all your bricks. And then you extrude that into a, a push cart machine. So now you got your push cart machine, which pukes out the, the thermoplastic. That's an expensive setup. That's like, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Like, you need a melter, you need the push cart. So basically an investment into thermoplastic, the traditional thermoplastic is like tens of thousands of dollars. And we just didn't think it was worth it because like we might get a few jobs a year maybe. So we just stayed away from it. So what we do is we do preformed thermoplastic. You know where I was going with that. Yeah, you're learning all the lingo. Yeah. So preformed thermoplastic is awesome because all those things like your stencils that uh, high-end everything was asking about is um, all prefabricated. So like... A crosswalk block, which is one of the most common things that we sell or do, comes it comes shipped in pieces of a crosswalk block. So then you just literally lay it down, torch it down, and you're good to go. So if you were going to do like hot melt thermoplastic, like traditional thermoplastic, I don't even know how you'd do it. I'd go on TikTok and see yeah. how those, Yeah. There must be some sort of preformed something that you could pour that into. Um, Probably an aluminum stencil. But at the same, like, that would just be odd to me. Like, I don't, and that's a big reason why preform came, became a thing is because people were like, oh, this thermoplastic stuff lasts forever. How do we make it into stencils? Well, it turns out, you ever, have you ever seen the guy, the famous video with the guy with the pot full of yellow thermoplastic and he does the handicap stencil freehand? Dude, it's unreal. He's got like a little chalk outline of where it's supposed to be in the wheel and everything. And he literally just pours into this little kettle thing and he, he hand does the, the, the wheelchair and he's got a little four inch screed and he makes it this perfect four inch line. It's unbelievable. Oh. I would never do that. <laughs> Cause if you screw That's it up. It's easy to mess up. Oh, it'd be so easy. So that tells me that, yeah, there's not a real great solution. Aluminum would, I'm sure would work. But at that point, if you need to do like any stencil work with thermoplastic, just buy preform, man. Cost wise, it makes more sense. Torch it down. One thing we get asked a lot is like, do you need a special torch? Nope. Tiger torch tiger torch so the suppliers will tell you you do and i'm sure you know if we actually had the thousand dollar super torch thing whatever they call it i'm sure it would be a little nicer tiger torch 100 percent. so yeah shout out to our supplier gen tem love gen tem i'm gonna tell brian we put him in the episode here yeah brian plug in your stuff <laughs> love gen tem their products are insane one other thing just popped in my brain another benefit of pre uh yeah preformed thermoplastic You've seen some of the playground work we've done. Yeah, we went to Quinell. You saw that huge, massive bird decal. I'll put it up on the screen. Thank you. Massive bird decal, as you can see in the image here on YouTube. And then we also did the four squares, which you can now see in the image on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) And then what else did we do there? I don't even remember. Four squares. Hopscotch. Hopscotch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No way you could do that by hand. Preform. Yeah, that'd be tough. Almost. Not worth it. No. Get yeah. nice straight lines, Mm-mm. different colors. Nope. No. Yeah, and that's the other thing too is like, oh my goodness, you buy eight blocks of colors to melt stuff. Now you're 
It, it takes so much time to clean out your machines. Forget it. It's just not worth it. Preform it up. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Last question. Last one. This is uh, it's definitely something we've talked about before. Okay. But uh, it, it gets asked a lot. And that is. Why are you smiling? I'm sorry. Which Graco machine do you recommend for starting? Hello. Why are you laughing? It's a good question. I think when I was going through questions, uh, this came up about 12 times. Yeah, man. So when, when you clip this for TikTok and stuff, it'll be this one. Yeah. yeah. Which Graco machine should I buy? Well, what's up, Pod Squad? This episode of the show is brought to you by our friends at Mighty Line Floor Tape. So true story, our company started using Mighty Line. We found the product like uh, half a year ago, 2023, we found it and we started using it and I was blown away. The product is incredible. And so many of us in the striping industry want to do interior striping, but we also know that interior striping on concrete usually does not work out very well. This is a fantastic solution. If you have customers that want safe walk lines or customized floor decals, check out their website on Mighty Line. Uh, it's incredible. They have an awesome portfolio of stuff. And if you've never tried the product before, head to the website, let them know that you got the info from the podcast. And they will actually send you a free sample box. Check it out. Mighty Line Floor Tape. We are so grateful for them to be sponsoring the podcast. I would say that Graco is not the only manufacturer. I would say that. You know, this this podcast does not have a sponsorship with any, you know, major manufacturers. There's Titan. There's Titan sprayers. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Yang there's Fang. Yang Fang. <laughs> you beat me to it. I and mean, there's so many options. Actually, um, in that regard, there's actually uh, Ves- Ve- I just had a brain fart. Vezos. Vezos? Vezos. You know anything about Dimitri, eh? So he's uh, been manufacturing machines in Europe forever, and they just started coming to North America. People love them. He was at Pavex. Unreal stuff. Actually, uh, shout out to Striping Guy, because he did an interview with Dimitri, and they walked through the machines and stuff on YouTube. Yeah, we should have done that. Yeah. Ah! Anyways, which Grego machine should I start with? Yes, our company, Laser Pavement Solutions, do a lot of striping. We use Graco machines. Um, I have nothing against Titan, which is the really the only main manufacturer out there. Graco just has a lot more technology. Um, so I would say starting out, their entry-level gas-powered parking lot striping machine is a Graco 3400. You can do so much with that thing, man. Like it's probably, you can probably get it for like four grand American, five grand American. Um, that's all I used for a year and a half. Can't hook up a line driver to it. It's a little bit too small. Um, doesn't even have a hitch for it. But that machine, like, dude, I did over 100 grand in revenue with that. I went and painted a small town. You, you know where Chatwin is, right? Yeah. I painted Chatwin, bro, all with that machine by myself at night, which is just ridiculous. Like, that machine should have broke. Um, but that's the thing. Graco's don't break. So if you need to get in inexpensive, a Graco 3400 is a great way to go. Um, that's what he was asking, right? best first machine that's what a lot of people were asking yeah yeah well make sure we link up the we, we've done youtube content on this too yeah yeah, yeah. so make sure we link that up but i will say you know what if, if you want if you're a bargain hunter kind of guy i'm not really like not an auction guy but graco 3900s they're pretty much impossible to break ours don't break and we're pretty rough on them like we have uh three of them four three something like that and uh if you buy a used one you know it's, as long as it runs good on day one, it'll probably keep running for you for a long, long time. Easy to work on. Even pump repacks are easy to do. Um, we don't have the luxury of having a service center here, which really stinks. 
So we just have to learn how to fix stuff. But most big cities have a Graco service center, so you can always take a used thing in there to get it looked at. So, yeah, for full details, check out our other content. I'll link it. Yeah, there you go. I think that's it. That's it? That's it for now. You got any questions, man? Do I? No. No, you got nothing? No, I got nothing. All right. But that's the case. We appreciate the feedback. We really do. Yeah. And I need to do a better job of, like, actually answering those questions. There's a lot in it lately. Do On YouTube, I just learned that you can cycle out questions or comments I haven't responded to yet. I just yeah. discovered that like three weeks <laughs> yeah. ago. I got work to do. I got work to do. All right. Thanks for the content, the questions. Keep them coming. Keep your stripes hot. Talk to you next week.